So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. On this day celebrating the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., may we all take a moment to consider the impact he made on this country. And we encourage all of you to perhaps take inventory of your own lives to view the impact you are making and the legacy you are leaving behind. From the Sons of History, happy MLK Day. Good morning, afternoon, and good evening, everyone. You have reached the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. And we are more than happy that you have decided to join us for your afternoon commute, or your afternoon... Delight. There we go. Beautiful. Alan, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm ready to take on the world. And indeed we shall, through colonialism. <laughs> Well, that's how, that's what we're going to be talking about today anyways. You think it's too soon to joke about something like that? I think it's always too soon to joke about anything in the modern day society. Yeah, we can't joke about anything. I can joke about you. Um, no, I'll, actually I can't. I'll notify Gillette. The best a ma'am can get. Ma'am. That's what I said. <laughs> All right. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Um... We're going to be talking about, uh, really we're going to be extending from what we talked about last week, which was American involvement in foreign affairs. Uh, We discussed a lot about the CIA and really a lot of things that went on during the 40s and 50s with a lot of Latin American countries, and I think we also mentioned Iran a few times. Um, what were some of the other countries we mentioned? I think uh, some Asian countries as well. I think we did talk about some Asian, African. Um, there's still a lot of African nations we have not gone over, which... Uh, yeah, there's there's a ton. Yeah. Yes, there's quite yeah. a few of them. And I would actually, speaking on that, I know we're going to not be able to cover everything that we want to in this episode, so I think we'll probably hit on some of that in the next episode, which we'll uh, give you a quick preview later on. Uh, but before we get going, uh, quick corrections need to be made. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, I think you were one degree off. I was one degree off. I was listening to our episode yes. and I said the 39th parallel, which for me is extremely embarrassing because I'm supposed to know a lot about the Korean conflict. Didn't you write a book about I the did. Korean I did. You know, it's... Pile on, go ahead. You know, I heard you say that, and I'm like, going, wait a minute, it was the 38th parallel, but having been a student of Dale Carnegie, you know, where you don't humiliate and embarrass someone, you know, when they make a mistake, you just let them, you know, tie their own rope. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed I did. I almost put my neck around it during the middle of the week. Uh, so, no, it's not the 39th parallel that separates the North. Korea and South Korea. That would be the 38th parallel. Mm-hmm. So Quick, do you know the Vietnam one? The Vietnam one? Yes. No. 17. The parallel 17th, 17. 17th parallel. That's right. Of course, now Vietnam is unified. so uh, Under communist rule. Yes. Beautiful. Way to go, commies. Ah, way to go, no, Jane Fonda. That's never too <laughs> That's Jane Fonda. I blame people like her. Because we could have won that war. Ted Offensive, we won that war until Walter Cronkite got on the air and said, we have lost this conflict, or whatever it is that he said. He had a nice mustache. Walter Cronkite. He had a mustache? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, I was actually told just this week, I need to watch The Fog of War. Have you seen that, the documentary? No. What's that about? Um, It is with the Secretary of Defense, McNamara. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a long conversation at the end of his life where he's just sort of telling spilling the beans on his view on the war. And apparently, uh, from his perspective, at least his late life, perhaps more honest 
perspective that that war was not going to be won. Sounds uh, sounds mad. Mothers against drunk driving. Mutually assured destruction. Oh. God, do I have to explain <laughs> everything to you? He's the one who came up with mad. Mutually assured destruction. Oh, there you have it. We launch against the Soviets. The Soviets launch against us. Therefore, neither side wants to uh, be annihilated. Therefore, neither side will launch. Beautiful. Uh, and another issue that we ran into, as you mentioned, the histories by Herodotus. Mm -hmm. And I think I created a little confusion by throwing in Thucydides. Right. Who wrote... The history of the Peloponnesian War. Right. So until he was right. I, yeah. I threw him a curveball yeah. and we got a little confused yeah. there between um, the histories and the guy who ran a long ways, right. which was... Phidippides. Uh, Phidippides. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful name. Uh, don't name your kids that. He'll be made fun of for the rest of his life. You know, Thucydides didn't finish the book. He got up to the year 411 mm -hmm. and the war ended in 404 B.C., there was a guy named Xenophon who fought in the war, and he kind of... Not to be confused with Xenophobe. No, close. But Xenophon, he uh, wrote... An, it was more of like a memoir than it was a history, because historians have discovered that his works were very biased. He left a lot of stuff out that, that uh, would have made the Spartans look bad. He was an Athenian, but he was pro-Sparta. Hmm. His sons died uh, fighting for Sparta. Oh, okay. Oh, man, I almost came in with something, but eh, I don't want to offend some of our listeners. <laughs> Speaking of books. But can we? Yeah, let's, let's move on to the books. All right. We have our book recommendations. You want to go? Uh, sure. Okay. For fiction, The Killer Angels, written by, and I might be butchering his name, Michael Shara. Uh, Killer Angels is a story about the... Uh, Battle at Gettysburg. It uh, looks at several of the generals who fought in that war, as well as uh, one guy who won the Medal of Honor. Who and who he wasn't a general at the time, but um, but uh, he fought uh, for the Union. And um, at a, uh, I think it was called Little Round Top. After it's been a year since I read the book, so mm -hmm. some of the names uh, Chamberlain was his name. Uh, there was a movie called Gettysburg. Gettysburg. Yes. Wasn't that done by Annie? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But, but it uh, has like Jeff Daniels. Yes. Jeff Daniels like, yeah. plays uh, Colonel Chamberlain. That's okay. That's the one I was referring it's a to. Real, and Michael Sheen? Um, Martin, Martin Sheen, Sheen plays, plays General Robert E. Lee. Robert e. Lee. Yeah. And, uh, and then Tom Berenger plays... Um, I forgot the general's name. Oh my name, God, yeah. yeah. I forgot his name. He won the Battle of Manassas, which is also known as the Battle of Bull Run. Yeah. Um, Longstreet. Really, Longstreet. General oh yeah, there Longstreet. We go. Really good movie. I remember watching that as a kid and having my yeah. mind blown. Well, Especially when the cannon goes off and all yeah. of a sudden you see like this guy like, and you know it takes his head off. Was that Interesting in, uh, scene. Gettysburg? But well, the the Gettysburg quick, movie quick. was yeah. based on the Killer Angels. Yeah. So if you uh, if you read up a little bit about the Battle of Gettysburg and then you read the Killer Angels, I promise you, you will not put the book down. Nonfiction is The Guns of August by Barbara Tuchman. Tuchman? I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. Mm -hmm. Um... But this book was so good that John F. Kennedy read it. And that motivated him not to be so quick to launch a war against Cuba during the middle, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. He saw how the domino effect fell in terms of you had Austria-Hungary declare war on Serbia. Well, to defend Serbia, Russia declared war on Austria-Hungary. Well, to defend Austria-Hungary, Germany declared war on Russia. Well, to defend Russia, France declared war on Germany. To get to France, Germany went through Belgium. Belgium then was like, oh, you know, we need help. England was like, we have a pact with Belgium. So England then declared war on Germany and Austria-Hungary. So it was kind of like just what was a little spark, one little assassination turned into a global war. Hmm. John Kennedy believed that the same thing could happen with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And um, that's why he kept pushing for a, uh, a peaceful solution, a diplomatic solution to the 13 days that uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis was. And uh, 
Fortunately for us, it worked out because it could have been a nuclear war. But the Guns of August uh, just covers the time of the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, a lot of the events that led up to it, and then all the events that that took place between the assassination up until war was declared between all the major powers. And then it uh, touches briefly on, you know, the beginning of the fight. Um, It's a very good book. I highly, highly recommend it. All right. And here are my choices. My, I'm going to start with my nonfiction choice, uh, which I got a few notes from for this episode. Uh, this one's called How the Scots Invented the Modern World by author Herman. That's not a hard name to say. Um, you know, I saw Macbeth the other day. Just thought I'd throw that in. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. I, did you see the movie with I have Michael the- Fassbender? No, the I, new saw, one, I saw the... A couple of years ago it came out. I, really good. I watched the Roman Polanski version starring John Finch. Very good. Very good movie. Yeah, I've boycotted Roman Polanski. Well, I don't know. Well, this was before he uh, <laughs> okay. before he raped a 13-year-old girl, but that's yeah, neither yeah. here nor there. Yeah, it's, well, it's somewhere. Um, so, I this one was a really cool book to read, and I read it. Shortly before I went to Scotland, um, what about a year and what, a half Mac- ago? Macbeth, no, or the one idiot, that the one I'm referencing. <laughs> Anyways, and my fiction choice. Well, it's going back to my nonfiction choice. It gives you so much of how this this Scottish people have had so much to do with how we live our lives today, um, from the economics, Adam Smith, uh, to technology, um, to architecture to scotch. literature scotch i mean can't live without it right i've got quite a few bottles exactly and i think we're going to indulge here yes in a little bit yes now, not that we're promoting alcoholism just no, alcohol no. anyways um so it's a really cool book you'll you'll really be amazed at at the the influence that this small group of people really uh and compared to a lot of other, other nations uh had on um just Modern Civilization. And so my fiction choice is one of my favorite books. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren. Have you ever read that book? No. Man, it is really good. I remember reading it a number of years ago, probably about somewhere between five, ten years ago. I read it and it really just left me disturbed in a, in a lot of ways. And, you know, listeners, if, you're, if you haven't read it, and if you may be thinking, is that similar to All the President's Men? With Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman? No, it's not. Uh, just FYI. All the King's Men is a man's journey from wanting to do the right thing um, and going to politics to make that happen and then taking on and being given so much power uh, that it pretty much ruins his life. You sort of see power ruins him, more or less. Uh, but it's a really good book, and it's really told from the perspective of this journalist, this writer who follows this guy everywhere he goes. And at, the, at that time in my life, I really was like, man, this this journalist didn't care about really much of anything, didn't really care about anybody. And I could really relate because it's sort of how I felt for a long period of time in my life. It's just like, hey, it's all about me. And you know what? At last time I checked, it still is. feels good. No, it's not. I think Copernicus might say otherwise, but that's another. Yeah, well. All right, so those are our recommendations, ladies and gentlemen, for books. We're going to move on to the rest of the podcast. We're going to be talking about colonialism, more or less, and what's so wrong with colonialism. Well, there are a lot of differing opinions, um, and I think there's a lot of confusion on what colonialism is what it brings to the table, and the pros and cons that come with it. Well, there have been some good colonial periods, and there have been some bad ones. Mm-hmm. Or in terms of uh, when a nation, such as uh, Britain, uh, goes in and uh, either settles or conquers a land, and then either builds it up or just uh, takes all their natural resources. So right. it really depends on whose point of view you're referring to. And, uh, you know, uh, Britain, I've been told, is, was one of the better nations to have as a, uh, as a colonial power, to be subjected to them. 
right. then the word subject is again a reference that people don't like. No, nobody likes it. I mean, because nobody likes to be subjected to other people's rule, right? Especially without their consent, which typically would be if somebody's coming in and conquering your mm-hmm. your tribe, your nation, uh, that would be without your consent. Um, and that's what, as Americans, we that's the that's the very existence of of our democracy mm-hmm. is that we we allow ourselves to be subjected to rules and laws via our representatives. So we right. give consent right. to the government the to word. do all these things. That's yeah. the word is consent. Correct. You know, I was watching the movie John Adams, and I remember when uh, John Adams was having a discussion with uh, his friend. I think his name was Jonathan Sewell. And he was being told by, he was, John Adams was told by Jonathan that, you know, when the king says something, we have to obey whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And John Adams was like, are you out of your mind? Think about that. That's tyranny. Now, he didn't state that, but that was what was going through his head. Right. And that's exactly, that's exactly what it is, which is. One of the things we didn't want to have to deal with any longer, and I want to get in on that, but I do want to tackle that, hey, colonialism, conquering of other nations has been going on for about the, since the beginning of mankind, I would like to say. Uh, There was, I mean, going all the way back to several thousands of years ago, you have like the Assyrian... Empire, the Babylonian Empire, Persian, Grecian, Roman Empire, the greatest empire that the world has ever known. Um, and then you also have sort of modern day empires, the French, the, uh, the Spanish, uh, the British Empire, as we've mentioned. And the British Empire, they, there was a, there was a quote, but it was, it was true that the British, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Right. It was so vast that there was, it was always daybreak somewhere. In oh, the British the, Empire, which is amazing to even think of. Yeah, I mean, uh, when they when they uh, had Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, they even at one point at the end of the Seven Years' War, they conquered the Philippines. Now they gave it back to Spain, mm-hmm. and then we took it from them in 1898, which we referenced in our last episode. Right, right. Um, and then there are also dynasties. Uh, there was there's like the Chinese dynasty, the Mongolian dynasty. Think mm-hmm. of like Genghis Khan. Right, those those are those are dynasties that went through and conquered other nations, specifically those in uh, the the Asian part of the world. But those those weren't really colonies. Um, you take into consideration places like Korea; they were a tributary nation for the longest period of time to China, mm-hmm. um, and really the, the the Chinese dynasties didn't even want to deal with them because they were. One, they were, they were doing everything that, that the Chinese people or the Chinese dynasty wanted them to do. Um, and it was really, really far away. And it was really difficult to get, you know, in there into Korea. So it was just, it worked out well for, for both countries. Now, some countries have never been colonized. So like China, Japan, um, Iran. Uh, there's a number of countries that have never been colonized. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I would have to say, you know, in World War II, uh, the Soviet Union controlled the northern portion and Britain controlled the southern. So I'm going to have to say that uh, that's kind of sketchy a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, the Persians were controlled by the Babylonian, you know, parts of Persia were controlled by the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. They were controlled by the, the Mongols. So, yeah, that'd be kind of hard to say. Yeah. But here's one that you probably don't know. There's been one country in Africa that has not been colonized. Madagascar. Nope. The French had that. Casablanca. Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Liberia. Oh. Which the Americans uh, created. The United States created the nation of Liberia. But Liberia has never been a colony. Now, they, uh, when World War I started, there was a nation. Ethiopia used to be called Abyssinia. And then it became Ethiopia. But uh, from in 1935, I believe, uh, the Italians conquered Ethiopia. And it became part of Italian East Africa. 
So that was a brief moment of it being colonized. And the Soviets also somewhat colonized it when mm -hmm. they turned it into a part of the communist empire. Um, but no, Liberia was a uh, free nation 100 years ago. It was a free nation during the, all the colonial times after the, 18, the 1880s when the Europeans went in there and took over the whole continent. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it has never been colonized. Interesting. Only one. Nice. Now, Japan is is an interesting um, aspect because I believe it was uh, like the Khans. I want to say it was Genghis Khan or Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan tried to tried invade. three times yeah. to invade, and I think it was the first two times that he tried to invade, and storms would hit sink their ships. They never even really got to the Japanese coast. Kamikaze, the divine wind. There you go. <laughs> Before the planes. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. The third time, they were building ships. They were preparing to do a third launch and take out and, and try to invade Japan again, but then they just gave up. They're like, you know, forget it. We're not. They didn't even finish building their ships. They just said, we're not going to do it. So Japan, man, they were, they were lucky. But going up... Now they've been conquered... Who conquered them? The U.S. Nah. 1945. <laughs> we nuked them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We, Big uh, mushroom in the sky. Yeah, a couple of them. Now I remember. Um, I wanted to point out the difference between colonialism and conquering. So there's obviously the, the two difference, right? There's a major difference between those two. Colonialism um, can can uh, follow up to a conquering, right? And a lot of times that's what ends up happening. You take out a, you conquer a country, and then you try to colonize it and make it in, into your own. A little different than what happened with America, Australia, Canada, New Zealand for the British Empire. Well, there were, you know, the Britain settled in North America. So did Spain. Now, Spain did conquer parts of what is today Mexico, mm -hmm. but Spain went into North America and settled. France settled. Uh, Holland settled. It's how we got Manhattan. Manhattan uh, was purchased by a Dutchman who then gave it to Britain. I don't know if he sold it to them or, or how, or, or it might have been a treaty. I'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure, but... But they settled because there were no boundaries of established countries. Right. Uh, Spain did go in and they did conquer the Incas and they conquered the Aztecs. Funny thing is, though, that when they conquered the Aztecs, they received help from the outlying nations because they were sick of the Aztecs. The Aztecs were a very brutal nation. Yeah. So that's how, you know, Cortes was able to conquer such a large nation. Now, if you look at some other places where we, or I don't want to say we were as a nation, uh, European nation or whatnot, those were conquering. Some of that you could look at, say, in Africa. Mm -hmm. Now, Africa did not have countries. Now, there were, in South Africa, the Dutch had settled there, but then the British went in because they were afraid that if Spain or France took over Holland, or what was the Netherlands, then they could take over Southern Africa. Mm -hmm. So Britain decided, we're just going to go in there and we're going to take over. And there were already white people there known as the Boers. Um, Boers didn't like having the English go in there and conquering, which is what they were doing. And that's what led to a couple, there were at least two Boer Wars. And the, the Boers kept moving back, and the British would follow them. So that that's going to be kind of an iffy subject in terms of conquering versus colonizing. Yeah. Because the, the reason why Britain went in there was they didn't want the Spanish or the French to capture South Africa. Okay. Well, there was the French and the Spanish and the Dutch here in the, in the Americas. That's correct. And so it was a competition for who was going to get what. And then obviously you have the Seven Years' War and the French and Indian right. War, which really was a deciding factor for the British taking over a majority of... Right. The, you know, uh, or, the, or at least establishing the 13 colonies. The French, uh, the French settled in what was Louisiana, and they settled in Canada. 
the uh, English settled in the what became the 13 colonies, mm -hmm. and uh, the Spaniards were even further west. Uh, they, they conquered what would be... Um, now, France did have Texas for a few years, but they pretty much settled from what is Texas, California, um, Mexico. I mean, almost all of South America was under Spanish rule, with the exception uh, Brazil was Portuguese. Um, Guyana was uh, Guyana was British, uh, Suriname was Dutch, and then you had French Guiana. All in one, uh, all in uh, South America. Hmm. So you had those nations who controlled South America. So, yeah, they, they Spain had a pretty big empire, but they weren't really all that powerful. They had a good navy, but they weren't all that powerful. The Spanish Armada. The Spanish Armada. Also known as what is it, the Nissan Armada? Is that what they've they've done? Not they've sure. taken that name. I'm not sure about that. I don't know anything about that. Nissan? Yeah, the car. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> All right, moving on. Please. Um, <laughs> when the Brits came over to colonize mm -hmm. in America, there was no definitive nation there were, there were tribal nations there were mm -hmm. the native americans as we call them now or indians as, as columbus called them um but that was pretty much that was pretty much it there were no drawn out lines like hey here's you know what it is and there was continual fighting within those tribes mm -hmm. um, which is the same in africa and and you know australia didn't have the aborigines right. didn't have uh, boundaries this yeah. is our nation there's not so much like rule of law and like yeah. here's you know government set up and mm -hmm. different things like that um and I, th I i see that as sort of it's it sort of simplifies the the structure and and being able to put things together in a, in a quicker manner you're sending over people of the same language um to to colonize and they are taking all that they've been raised with it that they know that they've in, uh, had generations prior to them British law that's what I'm going for they understand British law they understand the rights of you know Englishmen much like the French and, and the Spanish so the, the French they understood they took over their laws uh, the Spain the Spanish took over their laws British took so that, that's what I'm saying they already had everything that they needed to put together a nation they just needed land to mm -hmm. do it, right. uh, which simplifies the method of colonizing, um, which I think is why you see you know, a much more su uh, higher success rate with places like Canada, America, New Zealand, and Australia. Mm -hmm. they, were, they sent over people to say, you are going to colonize this land instead of we are going to conquer these people and mm -hmm. colonize them. When you bring in the language barrier and then you bring in religious barriers and you bring in all these other human barriers, it, it creates this massive conflict uh, as it should and mm -hmm. creates massive difficulties as it should mm -hmm. to actually successfully colonize. Right. Um, well, you know, you know why they did a lot of this was because... Um, there were there were natural resources in what was known as the uh, the Indies, which the Netherlands acquired, and it was called the Netherlands East Indies up until after World War II when it became Indonesia. And then you also had in India all these you had spices, you had things that you just couldn't get, you know, in in the Western Hemisphere or mm -hmm. Western civil Western civilization didn't have. So the navies had to sail now. A lot of the, the transport between the areas went through the Silk Road. Well, when the uh, Muslims, the Turkish Empire, conquered much of what ended up becoming, or part of the areas that became part of the Silk Road, they needed another route. So this is where the navies came in. The navies, however, needed places to land. This is why Portugal and Spain and England and France and Belgium. This is why they captured certain parts, certain coastal areas, turned them into ports, and that's what ended up leading into colonies. So, the reason why they had, the reason why they settled, 
in these areas in the in what was known as the modern area in the late now I don't want to say in the medieval period because there really wasn't much colonizing in the medieval period. It was mostly starting in the modern era. Mm -hmm. Was because the navy, the, you know, to, to acquire the goods from the Indies and from India, they could no longer use the the Silk Road. They had to go around. They had to go around Africa. They needed a navy. You you need the navy. You need places to get your supplies because those were some long journeys. That's what led to all the colonialism. Yeah. So blame the Ottomans for that. I will. Not a problem. Um, colonies became much more successful when it was and just a direct implementation of here's the rule of law, here's how things are going to go, here's how your government's going to be set up, and now move forward. Just cultivate the land, mm -hmm. um, start industry, uh, develop technology, and things like that. Um, but when it came to even dealing with the natives, mm -hmm. it was a massive, it was a real difficulty. Um, and it, you, you research, there was sort of a division between, okay, Native American tribes that liked the British or preferred the British over the French and vice versa. Um, there was that a big split. And so there were already allies being formed mm -hmm. during the col colonial period. Um, he also had uh, some of the Indian tribes in the uh, uh, the Iroquois, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, where the Mohawk Nation, mm -hmm. uh, they preferred the British versus the Algonquins, which were in the French. They hated the Algonquins. So they preferred to be under or to work with the European powers to help them fight their enemies who were also Native Americans. Mm -hmm. What is that? Uh, an enemy of my enemy? Yeah, my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, uh, they did not see the European powers as a threat or more of a threat. They saw their traditional enemies as the threat. Yeah. Um, when the pilgrims landed in uh, in uh, Plymouth Rock uh, or in Plymouth, um, some of the Indians took sides and said, "Hey, we have an enemy. Can you help us out?" Mm -hmm. And the Indians that they helped ended up becoming their friends, and they were the ones who showed up for the uh, first Thanksgiving uh, dinner. Mm -hmm. There were about a hundred of them. Okay. I don't know how many were there. I think there were about somewhere between 90 to 100. I missed Indians. out on that Thanksgiving meal, and I, I, I regret oh. it to this day. I think we both kind of missed that one just a tad bit. Just a bit. In one year, will be 400 years since the, the landing, and... The year after that, in the year 2021, we will celebrate the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Too soon. Too soon. Just by about a year. I did want to give a couple of examples of the like conquering a nation that is already established and the difficulty thereof of, of sort of colonizing. Um, and I'm sure it's one that you, you know pretty well that the India uh, example mm -hmm. um, with with Britain coming in to colonize this country, but I did want to mention the sort some of the positives, and I'm just using India as an example. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a Hindu majority, so they had a lot of rituals that they conducted that really stunned the British people that came in. Um, and, you got to talk about the sati. Yeah, one of the things that they ended was was the sati, and I I wanted to reference the book that I am you know just recommended on uh, how the Scots invented the modern world, um, and so this was Sir Charles uh, Napier, I believe is how you say his name. He was the governor in chief in the eighteen forties. Mm -hmm. um, he banned the Hindu practice of sati, which was burning a widow on her husband's funeral pyre. Um, and so it's interesting, the local Brahmin priest protested that this was interfering with an important national custom. And this is what Napier said. And he said, my nation also has a custom. When, the man, when men burn women alive, we hang them. Let us all act according to national custom. <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah. So... It was one of the things that he ended. Um, they also ended um, Thuggy, which was ritual murder cult, which apparently took place uh, quite often in India. What's it called? 
Thuggy. T h u g g e e. Wow. Yeah. That and sounds kind of racial, almost. Almost, but you have the extra G and the two E's, which eliminates that. Um, Did you see the movie uh, Around the World in Eighty Days by Jules Verne? No. Oh, there's. Uh... But I did see the play at the Alley Theater. I think it was a four-man play, actually done very well. Okay. Well, was so they usually have stuff like that during the summer. Phileas Fogg uh, was about to witness a Satie, uh, uh, Aouda, I think was her name, Princess Aouda, mm-hmm. who ended up being his wife, was about to be sacrificed. And he went in there and he rescued her from the funeral pyre. Boy, did he anger those Indians. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Jules Verne. I'm actually in the process of reading Journey to the Ascent of the Earth. Okay. Yeah. There was a uh, movie about that, but... Yeah, with Will Ferrell, and it was terrible. Uh, I was thinking more of... Are you uh, talking about the Pat, old one? Was it Pat Boone? Pat, Pat Buchanan? Boone. No, Boone. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Boone's... Uh, you know, the You Light Up My Life? Yeah. Yes, that one. You, I think, okay, never mind. I think James Mason was in that, too. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, but Pat Boone was. Yes, he was in that movie. In yeah. fact, I have it on DVD somewhere here. Well, let's make sure that yeah. we don't watch it. But, you know, I think that's going to be too much of a work of fiction, because I think if you try to go to the center of the earth, I think you'll be crushed. Alive. Yeah, the magma and the uh, pressure wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, because not everybody can handle the pressure. Isn't that a Queen song? (laughs) (laughs) Under pressure. So, uh, another thing that they ended was human sacrifices. There were still human sacrifices going on in India. Um, And this was done by uh, General James Dalhousie. I believe I'm saying that uh, correctly. Um, So, he, he... Ended the human sacrifices, and another thing that he did was he he noticed among uh, along with a lot of other British people that were there that the extreme lack of women's rights in the India culture, um, and he ended up saying the degradation of their women has been adhered to by Hindus and Mohammedans more tenaciously than other customs, and the change will do more towards civilizing the body of society than anything else could affect. He also, they also uh, created laws to ban child marriage, uh, polygamy, and the practice of killing unwanted female children. Um, he also, uh, Dalhousie, also created the first schools for girls, arguing that nothing was likely to lead to more important and beneficial consequences than the introduction of education for their female children. So, really cool stuff that was instituted mm-hmm. via colonization. Right. Okay. Um, and so those are some of the benefits that, that come with it. Another example I wanted to swing into was uh, the Korean example. Now, now Korea was its own nation for one. It's over a thousand years, um, and then Japanese uh, rule came in, uh, and it's it's a, it's a long process. But they ended up annexing Korea from China in 1910. Uh, Korea became a a colony of Japan. Uh, however, the the benefits that came from that was Japan forced Korea to sort of get in line te- technologically. Mm-hmm. So railroads and a lot of technology was was put into place in Korea that benefited the people. However, there was a ton of negative stuff that took place, which is a result of being a subject to another another country. They forced, uh, they more or less banned the Korean language. They were forcing people to learn the Japanese language. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is they, they banned um, parents giving their children Korean names. They were forcing them to give Japanese names. Um, luckily for the Korean people, it was a short-lived colonization because after World War II ended, Japan was kicked out, mm-hmm. um, and Korea was then able to go back to being a nation on its own. However, of course, at the 39th parallel, no, the 38th 38. parallel, um, North Korea and South Korea split, and you have what you have today. Um, you have so, a very prosperous South Korea. And you have a very prosperous South Korea, and it came down to, because 
during the colonization with uh, Japan, uh, the North and the South were reaching out to sort of people, Koreans were reaching out to different groups. They were reaching out to uh, communist groups for help, and they were also reaching out to democratic groups for help on trying to get, get out from under the rule of, of Japan. And obviously, another thing I, I did want to mention was Korea had the opportunity to get out from under the rule of Japan during the Treaty of Paris after World War I. But unfortunately, all the, the powers that be didn't want to recognize them as a nation. They didn't want to upset the Japanese rule, mm -hmm. so they just let it be. And so the moment in time that, that Korea could have been alleviated, mm -hmm. um, that issue alleviated uh, was put off for another 25, 30 years. No, Japan was uh, an ally mm -hmm. uh, to Britain in yeah. World War One. So, um, so some of the things that, that, that come from colonization that is, that is a benefit, um, would be economic improvement, social improvement, like some of the things that we just mentioned. Uh, but I see it as, and I think we all see it as a people, and this is just the laws of human nature. We want to be free to govern ourselves. It comes down to freedom. Even if, and this has been the case, even if it means that you don't do as well economically, mm -hmm. uh, even if you don't do as well militarily, um, technologically, all these other aspects, a nation or a tribe or a people want to be able to rule themselves. Your Self, thoughts? Well, self-determination was brought up by Woodrow Wilson in his 14 points which was his way to end the First World War. He presented it to Germany and said, if you will accept these 14 points, we can end this stalemate. Uh, at first they said no, but when they were finally defeated and the armistice was signed, Germany wanted to use the 14 points. Uh, Britain and France, however, said negative. They wanted to punish Germany and punish them badly, especially the French, because both nations lost so many sons, well over a million each. So they were not looking at reconciling with Germany. They, they really wanted to mm -hmm. put a hurt on them. Uh, but self-actualization was not something that was brought up in those days. I mean, it, colonization was just a way of life. Mm -hmm. the, the strong, you know, ran the weak. Right. It's, just, it's just the way it was. And as you were saying... That has been going on for thousands of years. The, the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, uh, just uh, the, the Mongolians, it just went on and on and on. And, and that was just the way it is. And now here's Woodrow Wilson saying, you know, let's let the people run their own affairs. Let them yeah. run their own business. And Britain and France was not too keen on that. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, former German colonies that were uh, captured in World War One, rather than setting them free, and that would be, we're talking about uh, German East Africa, uh, German Southwest Africa, Togo, and Cameroon, as well as uh, uh, areas of New Guinea and several other uh, islands, and there was a port in China. Uh, the port in China and the islands went to Japan, uh, New Guinea went to Australia, and then France and Britain just kind of divvied up the, the four colonies in Africa. None of them were given their freedom. They just went from one master to another. Mm -hmm. Woodrow Wilson, that with, with that taking place and with the Senate rejecting the, the, uh, the Treaty of Versailles and uh, the League of Nations, that led to Wilson having his stroke. And he was debilitated at that point. Mm -hmm. So Europe went on and became, uh, Europe went on and colonized the, the rest of the conquered uh, German world, um, as well as uh, what was once part of Turkey. Um, if you see the movie Lawrence of Arabia, you will see where the Arabs want self-determination. They want to run their own country. Uh, they were promised certain lands and they were promised their own free country they did get it in what became arabia which then was conquered by the uh, saud family 
but Palestine, what was then known as Transjordan, Iraq, Syria, and then later Lebanon, all became French and British colonies. They were promised one thing, but, they, but the, the Europeans gave them something else. The Sykes-Picot Agreement, which split up the conquered territory that once belonged to Turkey. Now, it wasn't until after World War II where many of these nations finally got to see their independence, and that took place between 45 to 1960. By then, by 1960, 62, many of those nations that were in Africa, that were in the Middle East, finally got their independence. So it was a long road, mm. but, but many of the European nations were not ready to give up their uh, territories. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Do you want to continue with this conversation on how the Americans felt uh, with with Britain uh, under colonial rule from them in the 1700s? Or do you want to bring that in next week? Because we're we? closing in on an hour. Yeah, let's, let's save that for our okay. next discussion. All right. So next discussion, uh, which will be uh, next episode, we will talk about the feelings of... Americans uh, and how they felt, uh, the British colonists, if you will, um, how they felt when they were being taxed without being represented, uh, being taxed without their consent, um, all these things that were taking place and how they fought back to make changes and when those changes weren't made, uh, what they did next, which would end up being the American Revolutionary War. Uh, and then we'll also talk about massive independence movement post-World War II um, as well. So it's going to be an, another interesting topic. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our episode on what's so wrong with colonialism. And as always, we like to finish off with a scripture reference. Um, this one's going to be coming from Jeremiah 27 in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 27, 5 through 8 says this. This is God speaking. It doesn't say that, but <laughs> this is God speaking. You know, I was, thought God would have a deeper voice. <laughs> exactly. Like James Earl Jones. Yes. Can he also play Darth Vader? Don't make those comparisons. You're better than that. Okay. The Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston Moses. was the word, or he did voice God in that movie, The Ten Commandments. He also voiced... That's my understanding. I wonder if that's a misunderstanding. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm sure you're right. I typically am wrong. I love Charlton Heston. Great movies. Yeah. Ben-Hur. Planet of the Apes. <laughs> All right, here we go. The Omega Man. Omega Code? Man. Oh. I was talking about the TVN movie. Oh, he was also Classic. in Tombstone. Yes, he was. Played Hooker. If they want to get him... They're going to have to go through us. That's right. <laughs> They're like, okay. Uh, here we go. Five through eight. I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are on the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field I have also given him to serve him. So all nations shall, shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Alan? Wait a minute. So God is saying that anyone who tries to go after Nebuchadnezzar is going to be punished? Yeah, it looks that way. He placed him in control yeah. of all those nations right. and in control well, of his people. It was the Persians the that came in there and now. Uh, Wiped them out, if I'm not mistaken. The Medes and the Persians. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting, uh, listeners, if you've never read the book of Daniel, um, Daniel actually 
makes, he sees these visions and he makes these prophecies that actually pinpoint the fall of Babylon by the Medes and Persians. This is well before any of it happened. Um, and then Persia falling and Alexander the Great coming forth and then his kingdom being split into four which would have been his four generals. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if you've never read any of any of the book of Daniel, it's a pretty short book, 12 chapters. Uh, really cool that these prophecies are pretty hyper-specific. And there are later prophecies in uh, chapter 11, I believe, as well, that comes in and, and predicts uh, Antiochus the fourth, Antiochus, Antiochus uh, or Antiochus, however you want to say it, Epiphanes. Uh, that one's pretty interesting as well, um, prophesying that a king would come in and desecrate the temple, um, and that's what he did. He sacrificed pigs in the temple and um, uh, uh, sacrificed to the god Zeus. Wow. It was either Zeus or Jupiter that he was referencing. So, yeah, it's wow. pretty cool. I never read Not the, that that happened, but it's pretty cool the prophecies that, that yeah. came forth. I never read the book of Daniel, but I did see the movie of Daniel's son. That's called The Karate Kid. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, wax on. Wax well, off. <laughs> and this conversation has waxed on long enough. <laughs> All right, Alan, where they, can they find us on social media? Please inform the peeps. Well, there's uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. That's right. And we have our own website, mm -hmm. com. Yeah, check us out. And listeners, if you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. Also, rate and review and let us know what you think about The Big Show. We'll talk to you later. We'll see you next week.